Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the Hadit.com Radio Show. Hadit.com Radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this uh, 16th day of November, 2017. We're here with our co-host, Jay Basser. And today our guest speaker is Berta Simmons. And uh, I would hope you all uh, listen up and pay attention and get your pen and pencils ready because... uh, we're going to be giving out a lot of good information. And should you have a question or a comment, please uh, feel free to call in. Our number is 347-237-4819. Now, our call-in number once again is 347 237 Four eight one nine, and uh, uh, just hit the number one uh, when you're prompted to, and you'll be able to come in the queue here, and we'll try to pick you up. Uh, uh, Berta, how are you doing today? Oh, pretty good, Gerald. Uh, we had a beautiful uh, fall here in New York where I live, but it has turned into winter this week. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> so we've had wind. Wind, hail, rain, and snow today, but nothing's hanging oh, around. My. But um, uh, keep that uh, in New York. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I came from a southern state. I used to live in New Jersey, and <laughs> that was like a southern state. <laughs> but I came to New York because it is uh, cold up here. But uh, I like it. I like the change of the season, and uh, and I hope people, uh, you know, they're listening and do take advantage to call in, you know, and. Uh, uh, and if we can't answer their question during the show, uh, and if they come to have it, I bet they'll find the answer right there because there's a lot of information uh, in our DIC forum on the same subject we're talking about. But like you say, Gerald, you know, it pays to repeat these things. It does. Uh, you know, and, because, and I've done... Because we I, have new members, and we have new people coming through to the website listening. Yes. Yeah. But, and uh, it's a serious topic. Well, it's, it is. Uh, something you uh, can't turn your back on. You uh, Please pay attention and, and uh, uh, call in or, uh, you know... Yeah. At least take notes and and remember this is an archive. So if you need to go back yep. and listen to it, you can. Yep. And uh, the thing is, Gerald, uh, none of us ever know what our expiration date will be. No, we don't. <laughs> what I mean, and that's why it's important too. Uh, and uh, and if we're VA claimants, we've got to stay as healthy as we can in spite of our disabilities to make sure that we can live long enough to maybe uh, see the, re- uh, the benefit of having an award letter, uh, you know, in our lifetime. And uh, a lot of the things that I, I think about and I, uh, 
I've written uh, uh, quite a few things down, but probably I've said before many times on on the website. But uh, then again, I lost two good men, two disabled vets, two honorables each. So I really learned from both of those experiences, uh, particularly the last time when I really had to do a lot of dealing with the VA. So I, I don't really give anybody advice unless it's something that it's, it's a regulation or that I experienced personally. And, um, uh, and uh, you know, we've talked before about having a death file, Gerald, and I think it's so important. And it can, be, it can make things a little bit easier for any veteran's survivors. Uh, yeah. You know, it, yeah. Uh, it could make it things a lot easier. Um, and um, actually, I've got one myself, and of course, I'm a civilian, but uh, there's a lot there in it that uh, my daughter, uh, uh, well, both my kids, but my daughter will probably uh, really have to, uh, she'll know what to do, you know, with that death file. Uh, and uh, it's funny, but I, I think about it quite often. What else, what other information do I have to put there? And, um, but uh, should I go uh, over uh, the death file uh, at this point, Gerald? Um, uh, well, uh, wait a minute, Berta. I think we have a caller. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, 512. Uh, see, I, I might remember. Is that you, Ray? No, I'm just listening. Oh, I'm just listening. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, welcome aboard. If you have a question or something, just jump in there. Okay. Uh, thank you. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Uh, go ahead, Berta. Uh, oh. Okay. Can, uh, uh, I'm glad we get have into the... this. I mean, it's it's quite involved, really. I mean, yeah. you can start off simple and make it as complex as you want, but well, that's uh, it, uh, Carol, there's some mandatory things that must be there, and and that's what you want to concentrate on first. Yeah, and uh, uh, I think one of the most important things, if a person has a death file, it could be an ordinary manila envelope, but to mark it in such a way that it'll trigger uh, the spouse to know where it's at and when the spouse he or she needs it, and um, uh, the first thing they should do is put hat its pat, uh, our, our website right on the cover, and probably even put the password uh, that the veteran uses because the spouse could come through with that password on, on the website. And I think that's going to be one of the most important things, uh, in my opinion, that any survivor at this point is going to need to have, uh, because uh, they might get stuck like I did with two veterans' representatives, uh, one with each uh, husband that I lost, who did not really have a clue on DIC. And the reason is that they really don't get a lot of DIC claims compared to veterans' claims. It's probably a minimal amount at the end of the year when they check all the records. But on the other hand, they were trained in DIC just like I was. So they should be able to properly help a widow or widower, a survivor of a veteran. But to tell you the truth, Gerald, I think the most important thing uh, any family member uh, could do, widow or widower, uh, and uh, and that covers any same-sex legal marriages in the state that you're married in, 
if your marriage is legal, it's going to be the same, you know, for a same-sex widow or widower. And I think it's very important, uh, you know, to mention that. Um, but um, the file uh, should... This is what somebody told me about life insurance policies. My insurance man told me years ago, never put it in a, uh, say, a cash deposit bank at a bank. I mean, I'm saying it wrong. A deposit box at a bank. He said never put life insurance policies in there because I guess some banks, when they free, can freeze assets, they can freeze that, that um, box, the deposit box. Yes. And uh, now I don't know if that is the case everywhere, but then again, uh, a person really doesn't need to put their insurance policy anywhere like that. Uh, they should put it right in their death file, and that would regard even uh, services life insurance through the VA, whatever they have, and uh, and maybe attach a little note to it saying that whatever the proceeds are from that policy. You have a little bit of a note there telling the spouse, uh, at the time of my death, you might have to get an independent medical opinion, and it might cost money, so please hold on to some of this. Don't spend it all in one place, you know. But uh, That's right. Uh, but yeah. didn't we find out down in Arkansas they wanted over $3,000 for a... Uh, but autopsy or something like well, that. See, that is terrible. And, Gerald, years ago, I had no idea how expensive autopsies are. Uh, and, and that's why I was telling people to become organ donors because, it, it you know, in most cases they will have to give you an autopsy. And here in the state of New York, that autopsy didn't cost me a dime. But I, you know, but it's so odd when I, the organ bank called me and I said, oh, yes, my husband's an organ donor. It never hit me. And that was the day after he died, they called me. It never hit me how important that autopsy would be to my claim. I I was just, you know, you just don't think of these things. Uh, But the only time I think that any survivor would have to make that type of an investment, which is a terrible amount of money, uh, is um, if they question the cause and contributing factor of death on the death certificate, and um, which it might be correct. That That's a bad part. But what I found out years later, uh, my husband's autopsy is what service-connected uh, many of his uh, disabilities, particularly the diabetes mellitus and um, his uh, heart disease, for Agent Orange heart disease, and it confirmed. So, huh? so in your case, Berta, uh, you you would have had a, you might not even been able to uh, secure his, his Rightful benefits have not been for the autopsy. That's that's absolutely right, Gerald. You're absolutely right. I mean, I I have denials for my DIC that are that are outrageous. Uh, they'll use anything. They will stoop as low as they can go. But on the other hand, they were giving me a hard time because I had filed for a wrongful death, that type of a case. So I keep thinking, well, that's why they were so uh, 
reluctant, but but I mean, it it didn't help them to be uh, so uh, antagonistic. And actually, the secretary of the VA about ten ten days ago uh, uh, said, I, I don't know where it was quoted. Maybe it starts at Stripes magazine. I forget where where he said that he did find that the VA system was definitely. Um, uh, geared sometimes to discourage and go against the veteran. I forget the word he used. John, do you remember what he said? Uh, arbit- he said the it was, was arbitrary. Huh? Arbitrary? He was adversarial. Yeah. Adversarial. That's it. Adversarial. Yeah. And that is the first time I've ever heard a VA secretary ever say that about the VA. But he's finding out the nitty-gritty. And uh, and and it's true. I mean, this is why Tebert started this site. She knew in her own experience what a rigmarole the VA was, and that was years ago. That was over two decades ago. You know, over it'll be 21 years for had it next uh, in January. So she already knew, and in 20 years, all of the veterans and and survivors that have come to our site. I would say 80 to 90 percent of them have found the VA to be adversarial at some point. You know, and some of them, they, they go right through the system and everything's a piece of cake. But on the other hand, a lot of uh, disabilities uh, are, you know, difficult for the VA to, uh, well, well I, to tell you the truth, I think the biggest problem of all is the CMP set up. And the fact that federal contractors were found to be ripping up, ripping off the VA for about $89 million. I don't know if anybody read that news. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and yeah, you know, I, I think they're, they're going to continue using outside contractors. Yeah. and, and but It, it seems to help them cover things up. I don't know. Uh, well, in one sense it does, because maybe by... See, it's, it's going to put the screws to the choice program, because that's where they were... The outside um, contracting physicians or whoever they were, uh, they're the ones who were overbilling the VA under the CHOICE program. And I, I can hardly believe it. I read it yesterday, $89 million. I, I've got to really check what I've read because, I don't know, maybe I have that figure wrong. It just seemed, it seemed horrific when you think of all the veterans that have been waiting, in some cases, for years for the proper yes. compensation, and here the VA is giving these dopes $89 million. Now, I could be wrong on that figure, but I think it was $89 million, and I read it fast yesterday. Yeah, yeah you, read it, you read it right. In most cases, they were saying they were double billing, and uh, a lot of these uh, oh, doctors oh, God, like, oh, yeah, okay, they start, thanks. They, do, I, they double bill. Double bill. And uh, even the insurance companies are set up to actually stop that or to find it and catch it. So yeah. they know if the doctor's double billing and they trash the other bill, but the VA must not be set up that way because they're probably paying both bills. And then when they catch it, it's kind of too late. Yeah, yeah, boy. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when I when I think of the money that the VA squanders on uh, on, on stuff, it's it, it's absolutely pathetic, and, and it's <laughs> enough to make anybody angry and wondering why they are overspending in so many areas and underspending when it comes to compensation because, you know, they'll lowball anybody. 
And when I first came to Haddon, mm. I wasn't used to really hearing that term in, in terms of a disability. But I think all of us know what that means, you know. I mean, they low-balled my neighbor. He's getting 10%. He should be getting 100%. <laughs> <laughs> but every time I tell him that they low-balled him, he, he looks at me we with, know he, you know, he thinks I'm talking about um, his physical <laughs> attributes. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, but to get back to the mm-hmm. death file, and I'll put all of this stuff. In, I think I've got a lot of this at Haddard already, but I'll put this again at Haddard uh, uh, probably by tomorrow. Um, of course, in that death file, there should be your DD two fourteen and your DD two fifteen if applicable. They should always go together. Uh, the most recent award letter the veteran has from the VA, and I'm assuming they already have probably three or four plastic totes full of manila folders on all of their other VA stuff, and I just hope it's in order. But I, I, I put down their last, um, what did I say, uh, award, most recent award letter, or even if it's a denial letter, at least with that letter, there'll be some rating, and it will give the wife or, or husband some idea of where they stand in that respect. And then they'll have the C-file number. They'll need it. I mean, the C-file number is something I never thought I'd have a C-file number. Uh, I found out that I did get one when I reopened my husband's uh, pending claims after he died. And... Um, but I knew what the number would be because I heard him rattle it off so many times to, uh, to the 800 number. <laughs> you know, but, but Peggy, you know, like, like that did a lot of good. But um, uh, another thing in there, there should be probably a raised seal copy of a marriage license. Now, maybe VA would accept a copy, and they probably already have it. If you're a disabled vet and you're getting VA compensation or a VA pension or something, they probably have a couple things that you're going to probably have to send them again. So just in case, and uh, any prior divorce papers, that should be in the file. Um, Divorce certificates for any minor children. And when I say minor children, uh, the VA considers natural children, stepchildren, or adopted children. So that's important for people to know that, too. And, I, and most of our vets know that. Yeah, uh, they have to have their birth certificates, too. Birth, yeah. Oh, I, oh I, I forgot to say that. Gee, I'm sorry. But you're right, the, their birth certificates. You know, And maybe the VA has already paid the veteran in their lifetime uh, a dependency <laughs> allowance for the wife or husband and, and the kids. But still, they're going to have to, might have to send it again to the VA. There's a good chance they might ask again. Um, and a blank uh, 21534, and we, we have a copy of the blank and had it, and that's the DIC application that I would advise any spouse, uh, a surviving spouse, to really go over it very carefully uh, before they file it online. You know, like, uh, there's nothing wrong with filing it and taking your time with it and mailing it uh, to them and getting a proof of mailing. But uh, I I don't think it's changed much, uh, John and Gerald, since I filed mine. 
but there's a lot to it, you know. And and when you're in stress and you're in grief, uh, you know, it's it's easy to forget something that might be important on that. Um, my DIC form covered DIC under two theories, direct service connection and 1151, and it also covered my uh, accrued benefits under my husband's pending claims. So I'm pretty sure that that part of the form has not changed where you have a chance to uh, say that you are claiming accrued benefits too, but there's a little bit more to accrue than that. But but that um, and if a survivor does that within the first year after death, they are protecting their earliest effective date for any potential DIC that would be retroactive to the date of their spouse, and they're also protecting their status for accrued benefits, which are based on claims that were pending when the veteran died. And and it's very important because that, too, I mean, they will not accept a claim for accrued benefits after one year has passed after the veteran's death. Of course, they'll, they'll take a claim and then they'll send you a denial very quickly, unless it is a NEMR uh, claim, Agent Orange claim. So, uh, and uh, the funny thing is, that first year after death, uh, in some respects, it goes very slowly because everything in your life has changed. But on the other hand, important things sometimes are things that you don't want to think about. And, and, you know, it's easy to put off these things. Well, it's important that that within that first year is... Do what you're supposed to do. Take care of business, and that comes first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's, you there's have a lot to get to do. this data in because the VA is extremely strict. Yeah, they are, Gerald. Totally. Sure, we have another caller. Oh yeah, uh, caller, uh, you in there? Uh, uh, let's see, yes. five one. Oh, hello. Yes, I'm here, and I'm listening and learning. I have oh, okay. no questions well, or comments at the time. I'm listening and learning. Okay. Good for my wife. Oh, well, good. Welcome aboard. Uh, yeah, Thank if you, you have a question or comment, just jump in there. We'll we'll get her answered for you. Roger that. Okay. Uh, well, go that, ahead, Berta. That's great, Carol, because, uh, you know, a a lot of people don't want to talk about these things, but I have found throughout the years that our nation's veterans are more willing to think about these things than the average civilian family. And if they're a disabled veteran and and it's a question of uh, any sort of death benefit for their wife or their children, I mean, they, they are really willing to think in terms of the future in a very realistic way. And I appreciate that because I wanted to do a death file presentation at my church, but um, nobody really seemed, uh, I'm in the senior ministry, and all the other senior people, they just didn't seem to want to think about it, you know. And I can understand that, but I'm glad that we have the opportunity. Um, here's some other something else that's very important. 
the death file should contain a copy of your health care uh, proxy and DNR. If you have one, it should be in there. And, of course, I, I think the VA would require that, too. Uh, I don't know. John, would you know? John? They want copies of everything. Yeah. I uh, Well, I think Medicare requires a copy of it now because I had to give a copy mm-hmm. to my regular uh, doctor, but I'm not a veteran. But I would think, you know, about two weeks ago, uh, uh, a, a nurse told another nurse who had probably just got onto the shift, uh, oh, that patient's in bad shape or whatever it was, and that there was a DNR in the file. There was no DNR. The patient died. He Yeah, that was a heart he had, he had a heart surgery. Oh, is that what it was from? And he could have been yeah. resuscitated. Yeah. But That's here right. the way I, yes. I read the story, that some nurse told another nurse there was a DNR in the files, do not resuscitate and when the guy uh you know, started having problems they did not resuscitate him. And um mm-hmm. uh, and I mean uh, yeah, they that, paid that, a big that's settlement out of that. Huh? They paid a big, reports had they paid a big settlement out of that. Millions of dollars. Oh, 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 oh I would hope so, yeah. I mean, gee, that, it's mm-hmm. terrible. Um, oh, and that's another thing. Um, of course, if you have a will, it should be uh, a copy with your lawyer and a copy in your uh, death file. Uh, and for any Vietnam veteran... Uh, who might not have a spouse, or even for a Vietnam veteran who does have a spouse but could also be elderly at this point, uh, you might as well put the contact information for your next of kin in that file in the event that even if you don't have an Agent Orange presumptive now, we never know what will change down the road. So, and Nehmer, under the Nehmer court order, they have to pay out the money if there's any retroactive money. And they would have to pay it to, uh, uh, well, the adult children. And, and you know, I think I don't think they go any further than that, but they do have to pay it out to somebody if a surviving spouse is also deceased. Um, now, Berta, oh, on this, uh, this is kind of off topic a little. But on this Nehmer, does that only apply to Vietnam vets or veterans, or does it apply to a veteran that was exposed to Agent Orange, for instance, stateside? Because we're we're getting veterans now that's been able to prove up Agent yeah. Orange exposure to uh, in stateside. Wouldn't that still uh, Nehmer apply to those? Uh, uh, Nehmer only covers in-country Vietnam vets, Gerald. And oh, this question came up before a few times. As a matter of fact, Kurt Priestman asked me the same question. Yeah. Because he yeah. thought that uh, now when they service-connected him uh, for Agent Orange exposure in Thailand, uh, he, he raised that question to me. Why didn't it, wasn't it done in his mind? They didn't give him the right retroactive money or whatever. But Nehmer is specifically for in-country Vietnam vets. And uh, they've never changed that. And, 
you know, so it, it narrows it down a lot. But still, yes, it does. Let's, let's give them a little background on Nima real quick to kind of catch people up that's listening. Uh, there was a court case, and this veteran's wife, her name is Beverly Nemer, and uh, she took the V to court over her husband's Agent Orange issues, and she knocked the ball out of the ballpark and won the whole kit and caboodle. So it was a precedent set in case, so that's why they talk about Nemer. So in all Vietnam, in-country veterans are Nemer class members. That's right. That was a class action yeah. lawsuit. Yeah, so... That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's also a good thing, too, John, where a lot of Navy veterans, if they can you know, prove that they stepped on Vietnamese soil for any reason at yeah. all, with mail or delivery or picking up somebody to bring to the ship, they, are, they come under Nemer, which is a good yeah, thing. Yeah, a lot of them do. Uh, I mean, but, um, with the... Ships list and stuff they've added lately. There's been a lot more veterans now that take advantage of that, you know, that were actually yeah. through boots, you know. So, but still, you know, they still drank the water, and that that, that that's what they're right. Me. You're right. Yeah, it's a, that that's a really rough situation. Uh, the Da Nang Harbor situation, to me, I think yeah. is outrageous. How they can say that a ship that was in the harbor of Da Nang, <laughs> with all the waterways in Vietnam running, you know, uh, from north to south, you know, from gravity, they're all running into the Da Nang Harbor, and all that water was coming up uh, through, you know, all the villages and forests and everything that was sprayed with Agent Orange. How they can say that Da Nang, the water in Da Nang Harbor, was not thoroughly contaminated, it's absolutely an outrage, <laughs> you know, but uh, dang harbor vets have a heck of a time, and uh, maybe someday it'll change, but, you know, the enemy, our enemy is not the VA, it's time. I mean, it, time is the enemy for, for these Vietnam vets, for sure, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I just can't believe uh how many uh, you, are dying you know, from Agent Orange? Yeah, look, this is what birds, the VA has all the time in the world, but the veteran doesn't. Yeah, oh, yeah. And the longer they stave off stuff, to me, a lot of it's job security. You know, if they granted just about every claim at a regional office level, uh, there wouldn't be this accumulation of this constant... Um, you know, redo of claims and stuff like that. I mean, it, to me, it's job mm-hmm. security, or 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 they're just basically incompetent. I, I just can't. I no. can't. Pick, well, it's a it's a lack of, uh, um, well, a lack of momentum to do anything about those employees that really do not do their job. The accountability well. and and. I think VA is trying to change it, but um, they've got a long way to go, John. You know, it's a racetrack, bird. As the car goes around the track, he stops in the pits. The driver jumps out, and the other jumps back on the car and takes off again. Yeah, it's like yeah. When it gets off, yeah. when it gets on, it's not new money. Yeah, it's not new money. Yeah. There's some new money, but it, you know, it's not new money. So Boy. it's just that it, you know that's, but they're they're treating it like new money, and it's not. Because the veteran passes away, they might pay twelve hundred bucks DIC if he's drawing three thousand dollars a month. The rest of the money goes back in, in, into the pot. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. 
Boy, it's uh, it's just infuriating to me. To, yeah, but well, I've had to explain that to a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> including yeah. congressmen. Boy, boy. Um, oh, oh, also, any social security papers, uh, you know, like the little award letter you get for social security, that should be in that death file too. And if you want to be an organ donor, make sure your spouse knows that. And if it's not on your license, just write a little note in there or tell your your main doctor. Uh, because uh, as disabled as my husband was, uh, he was uh, they were happy to get what they got from him as far as uh, uh, harvesting things that they could use. Even though uh, his heart was shot, his brain was shot, you know, there's still a lot. Uh, lots that they could use, and there's a lot of peace of mind in knowing that. You know, for me, uh, the way he died. And, How about the diabetes, Berta? How does um, that affect Rod's organ? Uh, say that. How does that affect what? The diabetes. How to have that affect his organs? Oh, because I knew your battle oh, was over over his diabetes. Uh, well, that's uh, a good question. He didn't have it, but he did. Yeah, he was untreated and undiagnosed for both age and orange heart disease, and Agent Orange diabetes. In the six years he was patient here, because these things didn't show up in Newark, VA, uh, they had plenty of opportunities to um, uh, actually diagnose him with these two conditions, and they chose not to. And uh, and I, I proved that he had both of them. Uh, but, you know, one piece of my evidence, this might sound odd for the diabetes, mellitus, was his driver's license. Another piece of evidence, um, well, well, there were a lot of things there, but it gets back to the autopsy, uh, John. I studied a six-page autopsy that they did, the medical examiner did. I studied it intently. Um, they had a toxicology report. That That's what often makes these things t- take a long time. Uh, the only meds in his system were um, was his high blood pressure, meds and the Sudafed medication that VA gave him for six years, and he had no reason to be taking it. So that contributed to his death. But there was one word in the heart slides, and all of this stuff, I mean, I had, I mean, my daughter bought me a book that cost $300. She gave it to me for Christmas one year on cardiology, Brunewald's cardiology, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh because I, a lot of these things I was not familiar with uh, all the terms, and um, but yet there was one word in the autopsy in his heart slides, and I forget what it was that I never looked up medically. And if I had looked up that word medically, it was the word that indicated he had diabetic cardiomegalia. So if mm-hmm. I had known. The, what that one word said in the autopsy, you know, and I knew what everything else said, uh, it might have might have made that claim go a little bit faster. But as it was, um, I had already fought them for malpractice, and I won. Uh, and that was um, in 1998. Oh, and I never went to court over that. I settled with general counsel. I, I settled my own case out of court. I didn't want to go to court. Uh, I, I didn't see the need for it. I was happy with that settlement because, you know what, they could have given me trillions of dollars. It would not have made me happy. There's nothing in the world 
that could bring my husband back. So, uh, and, and you know, so I settled with him. At, and a good lawyer often tells their client, settle out of court if you can. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. But uh, to make a long story short, what, when I filed the diabetes claim, this time I was really smart. Um, I did not have a lawyer or an independent medical opinion for my wrongful death claim. So I, I had to get up to speed on the legal end and the medical end, and I knew, I knew I would succeed. But with the diabetes claim, I figure, uh-oh, they're going to really give me a hard time on this one, which they did. They refused to reopen the claim at first. But to make a long story short, um, I had two IMOs from Dr. Bash, a freebie from the only doctor at the Syracuse VA that knew what he was doing, and he gave me a free IMO. And um, I had ordered a fourth IMO. And, you know, and I mean, I had spent, I think, about $5,000, no, closer to 6000 But part of that was refunded to me because the IMO that I ordered, uh, I, I got my award letter in the mail before the doctor even <laughs> prepared the independent medical opinion. So uh, actually, I, I think they refunded about $1,000 of it. Um, but uh, to have a real doctor, you know, go over carefully my lay medical opinion and to go over carefully the evidence that I had found, which this is what Dr. Bash did. He didn't need SMRs because, obviously, um, he knew my husband was a Vietnam in-country veteran, <coughs> but he needed those six years of medical records to go over. And uh, I took him step by step. Uh, it, I, I think my I had a three-page cover letter, and then I had everything tabbed to, you know, this is exhibit A, A number one, two, three, like that, all the way down, so that when he got done with his opinion, he could go over and make sure that he had not left any stone unturned. And that's what he did. And, and, and that's how I, I went through that. But that case took six years. Six years. First they refused to reopen, and then I fought them on that. Then they reopened and denied, and then I, I, at some point I just said, no, I, wanna, I want my claim to be in front of people who can read. So I was perfectly happy to tell them to ship it off to the BVA, you know, and the Board of Veterans <laughs> can read. <laughs> and so when they awarded me, then there was a matter, another monetary, uh, there were, well, that award was a big award, John. It was bigger than I even dreamed of when I was filing the claim. But the most important thing about it was it gave me peace with honor and it gave it to my husband. Because there's no peace knowing the VA killed him. And there's no nice way of saying that. <laughs> you know, and, and that's the way I put it when I wrote to Secretary Shulkin and, and President Trump and, you know, anybody else that, uh, recently that I've been working on this issue, uh, the 1151 issue with. Because there's a lot more scandal that hit, hit the fan. I almost said the wrong word there. S. Y. at the thing. 
more is coming. <laughs> I'll tell you. Um, oh, so let me, I'm just going, uh, oh, you know, another thing I thought of, um, now, I think in most families, I, I, I'm assuming the white pays bills in most American families, which is a, it's bad when you're trying to, uh, you have a PTSD claim, and you know they're going to award you money, and then the C&P doctor says, well, who pays the bills in your family? And you say your wife, and then they they write down that you're incompetent. You know? And it, that that is a, a, a really, is really a sore spot for me, this incompetence BS. But on the other hand, uh, when if a veteran themselves, male or female, is the person who might be paying the family's bills, and if they're like me, they pay most of their bills online. Um, those, that amount is, uh, you know, still has that still has to be something to be considered by a surviving spouse who might need a password to pay the phone bill or, you know, even my oil company. They finally went online, uh, you know, something like that. So that's something to think about, too, because the bills are going to come. They might not come in the mail, and if the, the deceased spouse is the one who took care of the stuff, uh, it, it's something that the, the living spouse has to think about, but... Some of these bills are being the money's being withdrawn through an online account. I don't I don't know if I'm really saying that right, uh, Gerald and John. Do you guys know what I mean? I call them direct draws, like my internet uh, access, uh, Gen Four. Uh, it's sixty dollars and seventy eight cents a month, and it's, I pay everything it's, as soon as I get auto pay. Auto pay, yeah, that's, auto, that's yeah, auto pay. yeah, and it's something that, and then a spouse. Now the other day, I pulled out my propane bill, and for a minute, it looked like they wanted me to write them a check, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, you know, this doesn't look right. But they changed the way the bill looked, and at the bottom it said, "Do not pay this bill. This will be electronically withdrawn from your account on like November the 16th or whatever." But you're right, it's auto pay. And and that's something that, you know, the the bills are still going to be there. You know, it, when the veteran expires. Now, I, I don't use credit, but about 45 years ago, when I was married to my Army husband, uh, he, he was a veteran, he had some sort of insurance on... Uh, a credit card or something to do with the car payment. I don't know if they say sell credit insurance anymore. But if they do, uh, it might be that the, you know, that the insurance means that the balance could be paid upon death. I don't yeah, know how that works. That's called credit life insurance. That's called credit life insurance. And uh, they still offer it, but you have to ask for it. Uh, uh, so if you buy a vehicle and you can let they add so much to your monthly payment and add it on your policy, and if you Pass away, and uh, the balance of the vehicle is paid for. Well, well, gee, you know, uh, well, you know, it, it's great because uh, I was in such shock. My army husband had been hospitalized for two years, but I always had hope that he would recover. And I was a little bit in shock, uh, thinking about you know the fact that he had thought that far ahead. He even had it on something else. Uh, I don't know, maybe a credit card. And, uh, and and it was a blessing, 
you know, to find out that there were two bells there that I didn't have to worry about. But um, that reminds me of something else that's important. And, <laughs> and I'm having one of those senior moments here, I think. Um, well, it'll probably come up again. It, it might have been something about credit or something. I, well, I better let that go. <laughs> but, uh, oh, uh, also, uh, I'm going to put the, this information at the website tomorrow about military uh, funerals. Um, just about every family in the world of a veteran is entitled to have a military funeral for that veteran. Um, uh, now, we recently had a funeral at our church for a man who had been in the Air Force. And two um, airmen were at the funeral and uh, did a salute and presented the, the flag to the widow. And um, and at that point, they left. I think they left the sanctuary at that point. And uh, I, I don't remember ever seeing that done before. Uh, but if uh, but the, there is a lot more to it. Uh, if a veteran, uh, like in my husband's case, he wanted to be buried in the National Cemetery that's 20 minutes from my home. So his funeral service was done at the chapel, and then uh, the burial was done in the National Cemetery, and uh, he had a color guard, and uh, it, it was wonderful, and uh, they did the, the uh, gun volley, which I don't think they call the 21-gun salute anymore. I think they just called the gun volley, and and now I forget because I have pictures. I only have four men in uniform in the picture, and then I've got a picture when they're actually shooting the guns off the rifles, and there's smoke around it. I mean, it really looked cool. I mean, I think my husband really would have been proud of his own funeral, you know. But uh, they don't shoot off 21 guns; they shoot off. Um, seven, I think. Seven, yeah, I think it's seven blanks from three guns. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right, Gerald. I think that's the way it went. And um, But there's a lot of information. Uh, that, uh, I'll put it at the website because when my husband died, the funeral director was supposed to make some arrangements for a military funeral, but he never did. And luckily, uh, my husband's burial had been put off for about a month uh, because his best friend uh, needed a month to get here to be at that funeral. And, and it was really no problem to put it off. And, and I think it got me in a, better, a little bit better shape because to deal with uh, a lot of people around me, I, I just, that first month, I didn't want to think about anything. But... Um, but in any event, um, uh, he had a wonderful service. And uh, but I wrote his obituary, and it's a good thing I did because the funeral director checked all of the reports because I brought his DD two fourteen two fifteen with me. Uh, but I also put there he was a disabled vet. He was uh, not only in the Marine Corps; he was in the Navy. And when the American Legion Post, local post, read the obituary, they called me right away because nobody had called them. And
And the guy says, I'm glad we read it because we need time to get our uniforms together and to get people up for the color guard. And he said, uh, we don't have any blanks. And, and, you know, and I never even thought of these things. They need blanks. They look for donations for blanks, you know. And um, uh, so they did have enough time to get that in order. But uh, these are things that I hope go more smoothly these days with the VA uh, between the cemetery and the funeral director because if I had not written that obituary the way I wrote it, and I made sure that I put he was service-connected, uh, my husband would not have gotten a military funeral. Uh, hmm. you know, like, it, it's just not automatic. I mean, you have to explain these things to, you know, the chaplain didn't take care of that. The cemetery people, they weren't involved in orchestrating that at all. But I think today things are a lot better because uh, how, how quickly that, that final honor could have been lost. Yeah. And, boy, I would have been really mad. I mean, bad enough, I knew by November that they had done him in. <laughs> so you can imagine if he didn't get the military funeral. I, I probably would have gone to the corner newspaper and made a big fuss <laughs> in the newspaper. But, um, but you know, boy, time goes by so fast. Uh, I did want to mention a few more things before the show's over. Uh, well, you'll see the uh, funeral, huh? Uh, Bird, I think uh, uh, a veteran uh, participating in writing his own obituary. Well, the veteran could. Well, absolutely. Well, you're absolutely right. Yeah, uh, why not? I know veteran. I know veterans have done that. And uh, oh, that's wonderful. That's uh, wonderful. That, uh, they they help write their own obituary. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Gerald, because that's something. Yeah, I mean, I mean some people might think it's tacky, but oh I no, don't. Uh, maybe it's no. You know, I, I've been well. I'd uh, say I was a hell of a nice guy. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, you know that's a good idea, and you know I've actually considered writing my own because uh, I'm a civilian, but I'm new to my church, and they'll have the service for me, and I've only been there five years, and. It's odd because it's a small church, but I still don't know everybody, and they still don't know me. And I, I want certainly a, part, a few parts of my life to be mentioned uh, with some importance. And so I've been thinking about doing that myself. Well, I don't see nothing wrong with it. I think it's a no, great idea. I, I don't either. I don't either. But uh, You know, and I don't think that that would be... Um, that way I can say, John owes me 150 <laughs> bucks. I'm on the <laughs> Give it to my spouse. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, put it in you the know, obituary. And, you know, it might be a nice thing for a veteran to write a personal letter to their spouse or their kids or their parents if they're alive and then seal it and tell them not to open it until their death. Yeah, very you know, well. And to maybe say things that they never could say before and something really upbeat, it, it would be really good. And these are the things that help a family, I think, uh, get over their grief. Well, you never do. You never do. But, uh, but um, 
But then again, uh, oh, uh, before I forget, uh, Social Security has to be contacted just like the VA. And I called the 800 number, and the woman, she was the same woman my husband had talked to four hours before he died. And she was horrified. But uh, I reported his death, and I had to calm her down. She got very upset. Um, And then I had to call Social Security. But usually the funeral director will call Social Security, and that will speed up the $255 check, which is what they pay for a death. And that's about it. Oh, another thing, Berta. Yeah. On death certificates, I recommend everybody get at least 10, oh, 10 death certificates. You bet. I bought 10 uh, right away, and they went fast. You're right, Gerald. Good for you. That's good. And uh, uh, they may be eligible. The, the survivor might be eligible for um, widows or widows benefits um, from Social Security. And if they have young children under 16, uh, their children might be eligible, and they also might be eligible. Uh, it's called the Mothers and Fathers uh, Death Benefit. And I'll put links to all that and have it uh, tomorrow. And, uh, oh, and but you know, one thing I learned, when anyone dies, veteran or civilian, their home should not be left empty too much for that first whole week where the survivors are going here and they're going there and they're, you know, they got to go get the death certificates, they got to go pick out a casket, they got to go pick out an alphabet. There's so much that goes on uh, because uh, uh, once it goes into the paper, and they can publish an obituary, you know, within a day or so, they're online now within hours. Uh, Thieves read obituaries. You know what I mean? Yeah, you don't want to leave your home un- un- unprotected. No, no. Uh, usually a family member will stay Yeah, there it's a good idea to always have a family member there. And another good idea is to remember that um, uh, my husband was cremated, and that doesn't cost much. And I had no choice because of the um, uh, because he was an organ donor. Uh, the 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 uh, medical examiner said there's no way that you would want an open casket at this point, which I understood. But uh, no, they, people have to remember, funeral directors, that's a business. And I think a lot of people feel this overwhelming sense of guilt that they have to buy something that's really pricey. And the bad part is a lot of people... I mean, I knew people that could go into a funeral home at a viewing, and they could tell you just about how much that casket cost. They would say, oh, it's silver, oh, it's bronze, oh, it's this, that, or the other. Pe- people look for this stuff. And no one, no one should ever spend a lot of money on a casket. Um, and, and I did when my Army husband died. Um, and when I realized what I had done, it just didn't make sense. Because even the cheaper caskets were beautiful. You know, and they're going to charge you for that thing that they put the casket in. They don't put yeah, it in the vault. The vault, yeah, they're going to charge yeah. for the vault. And uh, even the cremains, uh, they might want to charge you a whole lot of money for a vase. 
who needs a, a you know a, a vase for cremains that might cost hundreds of dollars? You know, I mean, uh, it, it just doesn't make sense. But um, well, it looked like an old coffee can would work fine. Well, yeah, but you got to be me. careful. You don't want to store it if you use uh, tea leaves for your tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might get it mixed up. Uh, I, I had some of my husband's um, cremains. Uh, the funeral director gave me a, about a cupful of the cremains, and I still have them. And, and then they buried the rest of them at the VA cemetery. And I didn't know if they could do that, but they did. And I, I was very happy about it. And um, But in any event, I, I just want to bring up the fact that insurance policies, they're really, you know, they're really never enough to really, I mean, they don't do anything to bring back that person. Nothing will. And uh, they shouldn't be wasted on a, a lot of things that uh, they don't have to be spent on. You know, uh, you know and th- this might sound odd, but, I mean, I spent a lot of money at my Army husband's funeral on flowers. And my Marine Corps husband, who died 23 years ago, he told me, he said, don't you waste any money on flowers for me. Well, uh, I, I sure didn't, and he was right. I didn't have to. I mean, it's nice, uh, you know, it, 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 it's it's a nice show to put on with flowers, but a lot of this stuff is not necessary at all. Yeah, a lot of it is, like you said, it's just a show. and A show, and, yeah. And uh, it don't do anything but take money out of the spouse's yeah. pocketbook. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you should be extremely cautious how you deal with a funeral, and and yeah, uh, yeah. to me, I plan to be cremated. So oh, good for you. I, good for you cheaper Cheryl. the better. Yeah. And what I care what kind of flower? I don't care if be any flowers. Yeah. <laughs> what I yeah. want with flowers. <laughs> yep. And you know, cremation is great. I mean, I want to be cremated too. I have to be so that they can put me on top of my husband's cremains over at the VA. And um, and it won't hurt a bit. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the way I look at it. <laughs> and uh, a couple years ago, I was, uh, my daughter, you know, she was in Vietnam twice, and she bought me some beautiful, exquisite uh, stuff from Vietnam. And one, one thing was a beautiful long dress, that actually had like a, a, a robe with the dress, the match the dress. And when I saw it, it was so beautiful, I figured, oh, gee, well, she could have me buried in that. And then, you know, I, I started to forget that I had already committed myself to be cremated, you know. And uh, But then again, I could wear that when they cremate me. I never well, wear it till they get you to the furnace and have them keep the dress. They might be able to sell it. Well, there you go. That's a thought, too. <laughs> well, you're thinking, like, maybe my daughter will think, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, one thing uh, one thing about death of a spouse, though, Gerald, uh, if I didn't have a sense of humor, I would have been in a nut house a long time ago. Uh, I and, <laughs> and, uh <laughs> luckily, the two good husbands I had that I buried, they had a great sense of humor, too. And they were realistic about their death. And, and I realized that maybe it's because they're veterans. It's just like my daughter. She's a veteran. 
she you know, she had to sign make make me a beneficiary to uh, an insurance policy when she was in the military. Uh, you know, and right away, even if you're a young recruit, you know you're.